Here we are in uh, the book of Acts as we're making our way through, and our, our message today, the title of our message today is the battle for the gospel, because what, what we just read about in the passage there in Acts 15, that, that, that's what's really being uh, described. It, it's the battle for the gospel, and listen, the battle for the gospel uh, is, it, it's a battle in every generation, so they fought that battle then, and uh, we have to fight it today, so we're going to look at um, of course, we're going to look at it in the, the historical context of what happened back then, but we also want to look at uh, application for us today. But before we get there, let me, let me remind you of um, just the, the setting here. The setting is the church in Antioch. And may, maybe you remember, Antioch, this is the place where uh, Gentiles were coming to faith in Christ by the droves. I mean, this is just like, you know, this is like the center of the, the moving of God's spirit at this time. This is a place where Barnabas uh, originally comes to. He, they're in Jerusalem. They hear what's happening in Antioch. Uh, Barnabas is sent down. He comes to Antioch, and it says uh, that when he had seen the grace of God, he was glad, and he encouraged um, them all to continue with the Lord. Uh, this is the place where Barnabas and Saul were part of a ministry team, and it was from there that they were commissioned and sent out by the Holy Spirit to preach the gospel and establish churches, which uh, they did in that first missionary journey. So just see this in your mind. This church, it, it, it's booming, it's thriving, it's gospel-focused, it's grace-centered, it's Holy Spirit-filled. That's the atmosphere. And then these men from Judea, it says, they come with the heavy news that all of what they are experiencing is null and void unless they get circumcised and keep the law of Moses. So, man, talk about a quench. And that's really exactly uh, what these guys were attempting to do. They wanted to put the kibosh on this grace fest, and they wanted to bring everybody under their control through the law. That's what was happening. And thank God for Paul and Barnabas, because they would not have any of it. And so we read that they disputed with them. Uh, the NIV says that they, they debated sharply with them, and then they went to Jerusalem to settle the matter once and for all. And, and of course, that's what we read in those verses there in Acts 15. So um, I, I want to, there's three things that I want to look at here today, but let me first say this. I want to uh, quote to you from F.F. Bruce. F.F. Bruce was a uh, well-known uh, Bible scholar from a previous generation. Uh, but he said this, he said, the council of Jerusalem is an event to which Luke plainly attaches the highest importance. It is as epic making in his eyes as the conversion of Paul or the preaching of the gospel to Cornelius and his household. So that uh, Bruce is saying that, that for Luke, this is a very uh, strategic, critical 
um, story that he includes into his history, again, because of what's really going on here. And if, you know, we need, we need to see the, the seriousness of the matter, it is really the gospel that is uh, at stake. So the three things that we want to look at are, number one, the issue at stake, secondly, the final verdict on the matter, and then thirdly, we're going to look at the relevance of all of this for us today. So the issue at stake, like I said, it's the gospel. Now, it wasn't that these guys just, you know, didn't approve of some of what was happening there in Antioch and they came down to, you know, kind of sort uh, the believers out. Notice they come down and they say this, they say, unless you were circumcised and keep the law of Moses, you cannot be saved. <laughs> so in their minds, I think, think about how crazy this is. In their minds, all of this amazing activity that's happening, all of this spirit-led, uh, gospel-centered, you know, all of this in their minds is um, highly questionable because these people can't even really be saved. How can they be saved? They're not circumcised in keeping the law of Moses. So that's really what is happening here. For these guys, the message of salvation by grace through faith is being denied. That's essentially what they're, de they're doing. They're denying that that is, uh, that is really the message. They are seeking to make law-keeping a condition for salvation. They are trying to add something of human merit to salvation. That, that's what they're doing. Uh, for them, salvation is through Jesus, yes, but also through law-keeping. That's what they thought. That was, their, that was their message. Now, this is so radical. Had they succeeded, had they won this battle, uh, had they succeeded in attaching the law to the gospel, the gospel would have been destroyed and the church would have just become an extension of the synagogue. The church would have just been seen as a, um, another form of Judaism, primarily about everything Jewish. And once again, if you want to be part of it, you got to convert to Judaism. Uh, that, that's what would have happened. And Paul understood that. And Barnabas understood that. And so they, they contended um, with them. So salvation by grace... Or another way to say it, salvation as the free gift of God is the distinct feature of the gospel. See, this is the gospel, salvation by grace. It's, it's God's free gift. I don't, I don't earn it. I don't work for it. I don't, I don't do anything really to deserve it. It's, it's God's gift. All I do is receive it if you lose that, you lose the gospel. If we lose that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, we lose the gospel. So any message that you know, puts itself forth as the gospel, but in some way, by adding something additional, it essentially you know, denies the, the salvation by grace through faith, uh, the gospel is gone. So that was the issue. Now, 
the final verdict on the matter is spelled out for us as we walk through the story. Uh, it begins with Peter's testimony, then Barnabas and Paul, they share a testimony about what's happened uh, with their ministry among the Gentiles. Then James weighs in. Now, James is the, um, he's the leader of the church in Jerusalem. James is actually the half-brother of Jesus. And so he's the kind of the recognized leader of the church in Jerusalem. And so there's the word of James. And then finally, there's this letter that they write. So let's just kind of walk through for a moment and, and look at um, this verdict that they gave. So um, it says in verse six, now the apostles and elders came together to consider this matter. And when there had been much dispute, so this was a very contentious atmosphere and they're disputing and debating, even there in Jerusalem, look what it says. Peter rose up and said to them, men and brethren, you know that a good while ago, God chose among us that by my mouth, the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. So God, who knows the heart, acknowledged them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us and made no distinction between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why do you test God by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? But we believe that through the grace of of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved in the same manner as they. So Peter says, look, now one quick thing. If you read the book of Galatians, in the second chapter, Paul tells the story of having a dispute, a public dispute with Peter in Antioch over this very issue. Um, well, not totally. Uh, Peter obviously knew what the gospel was, but, but there was a time in Antioch where Peter was visiting and he was with the Gentiles and he was just enjoying, you know, just that wonderful fellowship and all. But then certain people came to Antioch from Jerusalem. They came down from James and Peter got a little bit intimidated. And so he withdrew a bit from the Gentiles and Paul rebuked him publicly. He said, How, you know, Peter, what are you doing? And evidently, because what we're reading about right here is after that, most likely. This is after that happened. So now Peter's, he's got it all sorted out now. He's, he's, he, he knows, I mean, he knew already, but, but he got intimidated. And so that's why he was compromising. But now he is very bold and he just says, hey, look, uh, remember, uh, God used me, sent me to the house of Cornelius. I preached the gospel. They received the Holy Spirit just as we had done. And they received the Holy Spirit as Gentiles. There was nothing in the message that, you know, indicated that they were to become Jews. They didn't, of course, become Jews. So Peter's saying, look, um, I'm, I'm here to, with all of this dispute going on, I'm here to take you back to what God did. And he welcomed them into the family without requiring their adherence to the law. And then Barnabas and Paul, they then go on to talk about um, the things that they had experienced. Verse 12, among the Gentiles, then all the multitude kept silent and listened to Barnabas and Paul declaring how many miracles and wonders 
God had worked through them among the Gentiles. So they had all of these stories. And again, the point was this. We've been preaching the gospel. These Gentiles have been coming to faith in Christ. God has been working miraculously among them. Nobody has ever for one moment thought that we should circumcise them or get them to adhere to the law of Moses. God is blessing, and it's happening all over the Gentile world. And so as, as the people are hearing these testimonies, so they've got Peter reminding them of what happened. They've got Barnabas and, and Paul telling them about the testimonies. But then James, he weighs in as well. And so after they had become silent, James answered saying, men and brethren, listen to me. Simon has declared, now Simon is Peter's other name, so he's referring to Peter here. Simon has declared how God at the first visited the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree just as it is written. And then he goes uh, to quote the prophets and the key word in verse 17 is, even all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord. So James now, who, like I said, is looked at in, um, in the eyes of the, the people in Jerusalem as, you know, James is really an authority figure. Uh, James says, no, you know, what Simon said is right. And even the prophets said that God was going to do something and he was going to bring in the Gentiles. And so from that, they concluded that they would write a letter and they would send this letter out to the Gentile churches. So then we come, let's just look really quickly at the letter, just a couple of points here. So verse 23 says, they wrote this letter by them, um, the apostles and elders and the brethren uh, to the brethren who are of the Gentiles in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia, greetings, since we have heard, this is important, since we have heard that some went out from us, uh, that some that went out from us have troubled you with words unsettling your souls, saying you must be circumcised and keep the law of Moses. So the way that's described is very interesting. Words unsettling your soul. You know, that's what happens. The enemy wants to unsettle our souls. He doesn't want us to be confident in our salvation. He doesn't want us to have the, the assurance that we are God's people and that God has saved us and God's going to get us, you know, right they're ultimately into heaven. He doesn't want us to have that assurance. He wants to unsettle our souls. And that's exactly what happened. So these Gentiles are just having the greatest time of their life because now they're saved. Now they know the true God. They've been delivered from idolatry and they've been delivered from sin and all this. And then these guys come down and they lay this heavy trip on them. And suddenly they're like, wait, are, are we really saved? I mean, I, th I thought we... I thought we were forgiven. Maybe we're not forgiven. Maybe we need to do this. So all of this happened, and it resulted in the unsettling of their souls. But I love what the letter says here regarding these men. It says, to whom we gave no such commandment. So they're just saying, no, we did not send these guys. They are not representing us. Now, the church in Jerusalem did indeed get kind of bogged down in Jewish things but not to the extent that they were confused about how salvation you know, really worked. So these, these guys 
were uh, misrepresenting. They were from the Jerusalem church. They were going out, but they were saying, hey, the apostles sent us down, and this is what they want you to know. They said, no way. We did not send them. We did not give them any kind of a commandment like that. And so he goes on, it seemed good to us being assembled with one accord to send chosen men to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul. That's a, that's a key right there too. With our beloved Barnabas and Paul. There was always this attempt to kind of, you know, pit Paul against Peter and, and all of that sort of thing. But here in Jerusalem, they're saying, no, we, we love Barnabas and Paul. Um, and these men who have risked their lives for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we have therefore sent Judas and Silas who will also report the same things to you by word of mouth. And verse 28, for it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things. So they are sending this letter along with these men to communicate to the Gentiles um, hey, you're, you're fine. It's okay. Uh, just carry on, just, to, just as you were. The Holy Spirit wants you to know that um, everything is, 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 is just great. And we agree with that as well. So that's the final verdict on the matter. The final verdict on the matter is that if you try to add anything to Christ then you lose the gospel. And God saved the Gentiles without requiring them to come under the Mosaic system. And so any addition to the finished work of Jesus uh, is to be completely rejected. So that brings us to the relevance of the topic for today. And, and believe me, it's relevant because every generation has this battle to fight in one way or another. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ. And if we add anything else to that, as I said, we lose the gospel. But it wasn't just the Jews who did it back in this apostolic era. This has been repeated over and over and over again in history. And there are things that we can point to right now, currently, that are happening somewhere around us that are really similar to this and, in essence, pretty much doing the same kind of thing. And so, let's look at a few of those things. Um, anyone who says... If you want to be saved, believe in Jesus and do this, just walk away because that's not the gospel. They're not giving you the gospel. Any addition, any attempt to add to the finished work of Christ actually diminishes from the work of Christ. So, so any addition whatsoever. Now, like I said, you can find this happening today. There are some people that say, yes, believe in Jesus and be baptized. And be baptized, in some cases, in a very particular way. Here's the method. Here's the formula. And if you haven't been baptized in this way, using this formula, 
then you're not saved. So basically what they're saying is that, yeah, believing in Jesus is right and good, and of course it's necessary, but you also have to be baptized. Well, that's adding something to um, the gospel. And in, in the end, it's taking away from the gospel because it's really making your salvation contingent upon uh, your baptism and upon the formula that was used uh, for your baptism. And it's not a uh, simple trust in the finished work of Christ. So you have that. You even have some who would say, well, believe in Jesus, but you got to be part of this church. Believe it or not, there, there are groups that say that. Uh, as a matter of fact, one group that emphasizes baptism also says you've got to be part of our church. There's, a, there's what is known as the International Church of Christ. Now, there's two Church of Christ. There's one uh, Church of Christ that is a, a legalistic Christian denomination. They believe that you can't have musical instruments and all of that sort of stuff. They're, they're Christians. They're Orthodox. They, they kind of do have the baptismal hang up a little bit too, but not to the point of saying that unless you're baptized into our church, you're not saved. But the International Church of Christ, which is much more prevalent in the culture, which preys on young people on college campuses and things like that, uh, that this is basically their message. Their message is uh, you can only be saved by being baptized by us. Because we're the church of Christ. Everything else is not the church of Christ. We are the church of Christ. And so you've got to be baptized in this particular way. And you've got to be part of our organization. And they will even threaten people that if you ever leave us, will you basically leave salvation? Because salvation is, is through us. So, I mean, this is happening in 2018. It's not, uh, we don't have to look for examples, you know, 2,000 years ago in history. So you've got that. Um, you still have today those who would emphasize law keeping. Well, yes, you can you, you know, believe in Jesus, but you also uh, you need to keep the law. Uh, there's a big problem in Israel today among the um, messianic congregations. Now, I've been to Israel a number of times. I know people in these congregations. There's a, a huge problem because they, they can't seem to get freed from the law. They can't seem to, to really just take the Pauline understanding of salvation, they're always getting entangled again in the law and thinking that somehow, you know, the law of Moses has got to be a part of our salvation. And so in some cases, they're just basically saying like, yeah, believing in Jesus is great. Of course, we need to believe in Jesus. He's the Messiah. But we also got to adhere to Moses. That's not the gospel. And anyone who's doing that is uh, not preaching the gospel. Um, maybe it's not law-keeping in the, the Jewish sense, but maybe it's good works. But yeah, believing in Jesus and doing good works, that's how you get saved. No, you get saved by believing in Jesus. You do good works as, as a result of having believed in Jesus and become saved. So you see, good works proceed from our salvation. They don't precede our salvation. So I don't do good works. And then God says, oh, those are great. Yeah, I'm going to save you because, you know, you're doing a good job. <laughs> Some people, that, that's what they think. No, that's not the way it works. No, God saves us because we say, God, I need to be saved. I'm a sinner. I don't really have anything to offer. I've got nothing to bring to the table. I've got nothing to commend myself to you. 
God, I cast myself on your mercy. He saves us. And then, of course, he fills us with the spirit and he guides us through his word. And then we begin to do good works. We begin to live the way he wants us to live. There's, there's one other example I'll give. And, and this one is so crazy that I, I kind of even hesitate to give it, except for the fact that I have been asked this question numerous times. And this is it. Some people actually teach that salvation is believing in Jesus and speaking in tongues. There, there's denominations that, that, that teach that. I've had conversations with people. I think I talked to someone just maybe last week who uh, a lady was telling me on the phone, on a, a radio broadcast, uh, she was telling me that her church says that she's not saved because she doesn't speak in tongues. How does anybody get so crazy as that? I mean, that's just so ludicrous. But it's a thing that's out there, and it's dead wrong. It, it's dead wrong. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's kind of like these guys who came down to, um, to Antioch. You know, Again, you could understand where they might have been bothered that they weren't doing certain things a certain way, and they might have concluded that they, you know, they, they're Christians, but they need to really get their act together. But no, they came down and said, you guys aren't even saved because you're not keeping the law of Moses. Well, that's, that's the same kind of a thing. It's like, hey, do you speak in tongues? No, you're not saved. That's not the gospel, needless to say. I, th I think it should be needless to say, but apparently it's not. So, But you get the point, right? If if it's believing in Jesus and, it's not the gospel. The gospel is simply believing in Jesus. Believing in Jesus. Just believe that he is. You can clap if you'd like, yes. You know, you're, you're believing that Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. He, he's the one who saves us. He did all the work. And we just, we just believe it. We just say, yes, Lord. I, I receive what you did. That's the gospel. That's what was happening in Antioch. That's why all these Gentiles were getting saved. Man, if it was, hey, you Gentiles, come on, sign up. First of all, all you guys line up over there. We're going to circumcise you. And, and then, hey, we're going to give you a list of things you can't eat and can't eat and all that. There would have been no revival, right? I mean, Judaism was around for a long time. There, nobody was beating down the door to get into the synagogue from the Gentile world. But they were certainly beating down the door of the Christian congregation saying, we want in. We want to be part of this because of the grace of God. Now, I want to also, as our last point, is I want to give a secondary application to this. And secondary meaning that there are things that happen in the church today that um, are there, it's not, people aren't going to the extreme of, of making it a salvation issue, but what they often do is, even though they, you know, reluctantly acknowledge that, well, yeah, I guess these people are saved, you know, but, that, but they're highly suspicious and critical of them uh, other than that. Now, again, I want you to remember the, the setting of the controversy, which was the church of Antioch. So uh, Antioch is that dynamic, vibrant, growing church. 
Um, it's the church that's getting the gospel out to the world. The Jerusalem church, on the other hand, um, they're, they're kind of stuck. You know, they're just having all these debates and disputes about the law of Moses and Jewish customs and these kinds of things. And some among them have we've seen, as we've seen, not, not the apostles, but some among them, they despise what's happening uh, in Antioch. And what's behind that is that these guys were hung up on tradition. They were just stuck in tradition. To them, it was like, yeah, Jesus is great. The gospel, you know, he came and saved. But, you know, they were just stuck in the, the Jewish customs and traditions. They just couldn't see beyond that. And therefore, uh, they were critical of anything that didn't comply with that. They were, they were really critical of anything that they, they couldn't take credit for or they couldn't control it, and they sought to quench it. I mean, basically, these guys just said, this has got to stop. Can you imagine that? I mean, God's moving, and they say, this has got to stop, because this doesn't fit with our uh, understanding of things. So my point is this. The same thing happens within the church today. And this happens all the time. It just it repeats itself over and over again. We've got to break out of this cycle. And here's what happens. We get entrenched in our traditions. And when someone comes along and does something different, they do it differently than the way we do it. We criticize them. We question their theological integrity and their motives. Uh, we view all that they say and do through a lens of suspicion. And of course, we've got to warn others about them so for the cause of Christ, we slander the servants of Christ. That's a reality. And if you don't believe me, just go on Facebook. But really, don't go on Facebook. Just believe me. <laughs> because it's ugly on Facebook. Man, I'll tell you. It, I, I, I can't even imagine any like unbeliever ever getting saved You know, if they follow the threads on Facebook of Christians fighting with each other. It's just utterly... Uh, insane what happens with that. But this is all due to that pharisaical spirit, and God deliver us from that. May we instead be like Barnabas. Barnabas goes down, and he sees the grace of God. Now, I could imagine when Barnabas, and even when Paul would later show up in Antioch, I mean, these are Gentiles. You know, these are people that are coming out of utter and, and complete paganism and idolatry and perversion. So, on the one hand, you've got to imagine that there was probably some messy stuff in the church there. But when Barnabas and Paul came, they, they could see through that. They could see that, you know, God's working. And Barnabas, he was glad when he saw the grace of God, and he encouraged them. That's what he did. Instead of, you know, criticizing them, instead of questioning their salvation, no, he encouraged them. That's, that's the spirit. That, that we need to have. Now, God is working wonderfully all around the world. And you know what? He's even working through ministries that I don't totally agree with theologically or philosophically. And the difference is theologically would be doctrinal stuff. Philosophy would be the way they do things. 
Uh, but there, there are those out there that they, you know, we don't hold to the same theology. I think mine is better and right. Uh, they, they don't hold to my better and right theology. Uh, they don't do things the way I do them. But apparently, my opinion isn't all that important to God because he's blessing them. So, you know, what can I say? Listen, we say this, and sometimes it's maybe overstated, but I think it's, it's really true. And I'm going to say it again. You can't put God in a box. You can't do it. I mean, you can try to. And we get our, our little boxes and we just say, okay, this is, you know, God fits right in here. This is what he does. This is our church box. This is our movement box. This is our denomination box, whatever you want to call it. And we've got God, you know, just situated right there perfectly in the box where we can manage him. That's a delusion. You don't have God in the box. He, does, he doesn't get in your box. He won't get in your box. You will find all the time that he's just doing stuff and you're like, wait, wait, well, come on, Lord, are, are you sure you're going to bless those people? Because, you know, I don't like what they're doing, but he doesn't seem to be that bothered with it. And this is quite frankly, this is a reality. God is blessing who he wants to bless and he shows mercy to whom he wants to show mercy, just as the scripture says. And, and we need to just reserve judgment and criticism and recognize that, you know, there are certain things that we can be so passionate about that God evidently doesn't care that much about. Now, of course, there, there's two things. There's essential Christian doctrine. And let me just explain that really quickly. Essential Christian doctrine means you have to believe these things to be Christians. If you don't believe this, then you're actually not a Christian. Now, so that, those are things, you know, the person of God, uh, God is a triune God. Uh, Jesus is God's son. He's divine. He's the second person of the Trinity. Jesus died on the cross, uh, literally died. He died for the sins of the world. He bodily rose up from the dead. Uh, by faith in him, we are saved. Uh, we, God, the Bible is God's word. Those, those kinds of things. Those, those are essential things that all Christians have to hold in common. But you know, there's a bunch of non-essentials as well. And a non-essential doctrine is, a, is basically a doctrine that doesn't, um, salvation isn't connected to it. In other words, you can believe even the wrong thing, but it doesn't really affect your salvation. So when it comes to the essentials, yes, that's where we have to maintain our, our position of orthodoxy. And that's where we have to push back. Uh, against um, false teaching and so forth. But most of the time, the, the kinds of behavior that I'm describing don't have anything to do with essential doctrine. It has to do with secondary things, things that don't really determine whether you're saved or not. And even the people who are all hot and bothered about this stuff, they, they know that. That's why they kind of say, well, yeah, I got well, I know they're saved, but... But if you know they're saved, but then just leave the butt out and just let God deal with it. You know, that's the thing. We have to trust God. This past week, I had, uh, we had a gathering here with 20 pastors from Orange County, all from different backgrounds, 
most, most of them kind of independent churches, but actually there was a, a Lutheran pastor here. Um, so more, you know, a traditional denomination. And, and we had about 20 pastors, and then they brought members from their uh, ministry team, their pastoral staff. So we had a little over 100 people in our fellowship hall right here. And we had an absolutely amazing time of worship, a time of prayer together, a time of encouraging one another. And um, I, I can tell you right now, there are people in that room that I, I do not agree with them on certain theological points. But you know, I don't really care because those aren't essentials. They're, they're just, you know, they're, they're, they're different views. They don't change whether <coughs> a person's saved or not. And rather than, uh, you know, being critical or feeling like I've got to correct that or, or coming along and rebuking them or refusing to associate with them because of that, you know, that's the wrong approach. We need to love each other. We need to bless what God is doing. And, and again, you, you know, you see that, well, you know, God, it looks like God's working. I mean, you can't really explain this stuff in human terms. And look at the people. I mean, all of these people are coming to faith in Jesus. I mean, you know, that's a good thing. Even if they don't do it the way we do it, it's a good thing. And so that's, that's what we need to focus on. The primary thing is the gospel. Jesus died for our sins and rose from the dead for our justification. And by simply putting our faith in him alone to save us, we will be eternally saved. And let's keep the main thing the main thing. That is the main thing. Let's keep the main thing the main thing and be those who are for the gospel wherever, however, and by whomever it is truly being proclaimed. That's the thing. You know what? It's, it's not my role to look at a certain person and say, well, you know, I'm going to judge them. That, that's God's job. And, and God's using them. And instead of being critical of that or judging that, I want to look at it and say, well, thank you, Lord, for what you're doing, um, you know, with that person or, or through that group. And, and listen, Paul the Apostle was a big man. He was a big man. He could even say something as radical as this. Paul had enemies. He had people who uh, were uh, out to get him, out to undermine what he was doing. And they, they preached the gospel out of impure motives. He knew that their motives weren't really sincere. He knew that they um, were actually preaching the gospel because they, they thought that it added to his burden. He knew all of that. But you know what he said? He said, but you know what? I rejoice in this, that Christ is preached. <laughs> that, that's huge. Paul was a, he was a giant. He could look past all of that stuff and say, yeah, their motives might be wrong. Um, they, you know, it might be all based on their contention with me. But you know what? Who cares? Christ is preached, and in that I will rejoice. That's, that's the main thing. And so that's the mentality that we must have. That, that's a mature mentality. And so God help us not to be 
pharisaical like, like these guys were. And God help us to just, even if it doesn't meet our particular philosophy or even our uh, secondary theological um, ideas, to just be able to say, well, you know what? Praise the Lord. God's at work. People are coming to Jesus. People are getting uh, established in the faith. And that's the thing that uh, I'm thankful for. And, and, you know, as we kind of move forward into the world that we're in right now, uh, there, there probably is going to come a time when we need each other as Christians so desperately that all of these secondary things are just going to be like, you know what? Who cares? I don't care anymore. You believe in Jesus? Praise the Lord. Oh, that's, that's fantastic. I haven't met anybody that believed in Jesus for a while. So, God help us. Finally, speaking of the gospel, let me just say this as we close. If you have not received Jesus Christ personally into your life, you, you haven't said, Lord, I'm a sinner. Please come into my heart. Please come into my life. Forgive my sins. Be my Lord and Savior. Then you haven't received the gospel. So that, that's it. The gospel is that Christ died for you to forgive your sins so you could be reconciled to God and have eternal life, which is not only that you go to heaven in the future, but that you discover God's plan and purpose for your life now here on earth. And the gospel is that invitation to come and have your sins freely forgiven so you can enter into that relationship with God. So if you haven't done that by chance, maybe there's someone here today that hasn't done that, we want to give you the opportunity to do that as we finish up the service this morning. So let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your goodness and your love. We thank you, Lord, for your word and how we're uh, just kept on track through it, Lord, that you, that you teach us, that you challenge us, that you correct us. Uh, Lord, that you set before us uh, the truth so we can know the truth and walk in the truth and be uh, blessed and experience the, the love and the liberty and all that you have for us, Lord. So, so thank you for that today. And Lord, may we be a people that blesses you and blesses what you're doing and blesses your servants rather than cursing or criticizing. Lord, may we embrace uh, your people and what you're doing through your people right here in our county and beyond. Lord, thank you for all that you're doing in the many different places all around the world. And Father, we just pray your blessing upon your work. And, and Lord, if, if there's a single person here today that needs to receive the gospel by receiving the Savior, open their hearts that they might do that. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.